It's nine minutes now before 8 p.m. And it's our wrap of the top business stories here on Metro FM Talk and helping us to uh, take a look at uh, all of the happenings in the world of money on this Thursday is Bright Kumalo, who's an analyst at uh, Vestak Asset Management. Mbulazi, good evening to you, my brother, and welcome. You sure? Uh, Mbulaz, uh, I'm quite interested, and I want us to start off with the story, Sasa Zimbali. Um, give us some of the background and the context to this, because uh, I remember a few months ago, I mean, it's something we had touched on, and it seems the process for the business rescue, uh, I guess, has uh, found some potential suitors here uh, in the shape of the Capital Hotels Group. Correct. I mean, uh, we're talking about um, the property that's valued around 240 million rands and obviously has uh, just over 143 people, sorry. Mm. 144 <laughs> yes. rooms. Mm. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's situated in a very nice place. If you've been in, in Zimbali, they've got a golf course, they've got mm. the beach, they've got the nice pools, the views, uh, and the mansions around the property, right? So it, it looks beautiful. Mm. Um, but unfortunately, because of COVID-19, there hasn't, we hasn't been any, a lot of um, tourism, not just in KZN, but the whole of South Africa. I mean, we've seen uh, in the low field as well, a lot of people are not going to the bush yeah, uh, because yeah. the borders are not open. So this is, you know, affecting the tourism uh, community of South Africa as a whole. And uh, this is one of the anomalies, unfortunately. And uh, like you said, Zimbali basically, uh, you know, went to business rescue. And now the, the vouchers, or I don't know whether they're white knights in this point, they, they're trying to save this. Probably property. a combination of both, I guess, yeah. <laughs> It's opportunistic, yeah, yeah, of course. But I mean, it's it, it it potentially has, you know, signs of a good investment. You know, buying it at the right price mm. at a time where no one wants it. Um, there is actually potential upside here. So yeah, yeah. yeah. And we know, I mean, Mark. You know, we know Mark Vashberger, who's uh, with the Capital uh, Hotels and Apartments Group, uh, the guy who started it. Uh, if there was any, I guess, uh, unconventional hotelier, it's probably him, right? Correct. Uh, but the, the biggest issue with property itself is that it, it takes a very long time to get out of the debt spiral. Mm. For example, most of the income that you make in your properties or, you know, the amenities around it, you actually goes all to paying down, you know, the, the debt or mm. lowering, the, you know, your leverage rate uh, on those properties. It's good in good times because if you're making more than, you know, what you, you know, are paying down for the bond, or servicing, you know, the debt of the properties themselves. You know, it goes well. You can take the money, put it aside, etc. But if things go badly and like business goes to zero, during COVID, we've seen these places basically goes to zero because no one is coming to your restaurants. Everyone is stuck at home, you know, and um, your properties stay empty. There's no tourism. There's nothing that actually mm. happens there. And obviously, you sit down with this big loan, uh, which is now working against you. And is you know is levered in the opposite direction as compared to when it was in the good time. Yeah, yeah. It's certainly I guess one here that is quite interesting uh, as a story because the other part I'm interested in, uh, Mbulazi, is that you know in some cases the people who own the property aren't necessarily the people who are operating the commercial hospitality operation. Uh, and it seems now that um, you know one of these groupings, Marriott, of course, which uh, bought out Protea Hotels Group a few years ago, um, I guess has lost the contract uh, to uh, administer and manage this uh, property. Um, What are the prospects, I guess, uh, that uh, they might replace this uh, with an entirely new player? Or I guess is... uh, I seem to have lost... uh, 
Bright there for a second. Uh, we're going to try and re-establish our connection with him. Uh, Bright Kumalo, analyst at Vestact Asset Management. And we're talking about what's happening all the way out in eh, Zimbabwe. Were you being load shed then, Bulaz? <laughs> Not even. Okay. <laughs> or maybe Kshayama Tower. Not too far from where you I are. I think it's on your side this time around. Hey, brother. Hey, 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 hey. You know, uh, but I was saying before we went to the break, uh, before I guess we lost you there for a second. Yes. Uh, I wanted us to talk about, you know, the uh, management of this particular property. Marriott, uh, it seems, I guess, losing that, uh, losing that particular contract, uh, which, um, you know, they would have been given by the uh, real estate investment trust that, uh, I guess, operates in that space, the Spear Group. Uh, correct. I mean, it, it, obviously, it makes sense. These things are always written in the contracts, right? To say if, um, you know, something outside of the usual operations of the business happens, mm. you know, the management contract falls through. And this is exactly what's going on here. So, so I guess the, the other part for me is what you make of the very optimistic assessment here by Vashberger and his team. I mean, he's, he's saying, you know, this is just a temporary blip and that uh, he's really expecting, I guess, uh, this uh, particular sector to recover in a meaningful way. And I guess that's why he would want to go uh, at this point uh, and uh, come in either as a, you know, opportunist or even a knight in shining armor. You're quite right. I mean, I, he's a businessman, first of all, and I tend to agree with him, you know, on the optimism, mm. mainly because this type of property is not, um, you know, residential property or office space. It's, do- it's predominantly tourism mm. uh, and hoteliering. So there's a lot of restaurants. There's a lot of, uh, you know, tourist amenities around the area. Sure. We're talking about tours, etc. So I tend to agree with him uh, when he says it will recover. It's just, you know, um, signing, I guess, a deal around the debt side of the property mm. to say, okay, how are we going to pay this for the next five years? while we recover from, mm, you know, COVID-19 mm. and allow um, tourists to come into our country. Sure, uh, sure. If, if they can survive the next two to three years, they'll definitely be here for the next 20 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that kind of environment, uh, I yes. guess, you know, uh, people often talk about what happened after the Spanish flu, the roaring 20s, after the Spanish flu and uh, after the First World War. And I think a lot of people are expecting that that's the kind of rebound that we might uh, potentially see. Bulaz, I want us to take a look at um, the world of agriculture. Now, it seems the Department of Agriculture has launched a one billion rand fund uh, for the next 10 years to help small-scale black farmers. Um, and I guess, um, uncharacteristically, uh, this fund is going to sit with the IDC and not the land bank. <laughs> look, I don't know what the... Big- well, yeah. one is defaulting on its debt and the other is... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but we must say it. I mean, look, you know, these guys asked for a bailout at the end of last year. They defaulted. Um, we're sitting here, you know, as uh, Minyele maybe potentially across default. I mean, it's bad. Look, I mean, the most important thing about the fund is that it will help in the redistribution of land mm. uh, in terms of giving, you know, um, land to those people who've got land claims against those lands. I guess the indigenous people of South Africa. Um, I mean... There's already a pipeline of about 950 million rands worth of agricultural transactions, uh, you know, which would qualify for this type of, uh, you know, funding. And it'll be interesting to actually watch what kind of caliber of farmers are going to come out of, you know, this fund. Because we've seen the very first, 
you know, tranche of BE farmers, you know, were focused more on buying, you know, the big buckies <laughs> and chowing the cash instead of actually, you know, plowing Eesh. and putting plants down, you know, seeds yeah. and wait, uh, you know, and sell that on a commercial scale. Someone so, has to write a book, Mbulaz, about the... Um, I don't know if I would call it a putty putty relationship, but historically, I mean, a very putty putty type relationship between the land bank um, and the agricultural class in our society. I mean, it's it's it, it probably does contribute in in sort of no small measure to where I guess uh, we find ourselves. Uh, what with the drought and everything else. Look, farming is not an easy operation, right? Uh, there's a lot of elements that are outside of your control, mm. but again, you know. For you to be successful, I guess, in any industry, you have to be exceptional at what you do. And what you've seen in that transfer I was referring to is incompetence. Yeah, and obviously, yeah. if the financiers are incompetent and the actual operators are incompetent, that industry is going to get destroyed, which provides a very big opportunity for someone with foresight and long-term thinking to actually come in and swoop in, which is what this fund is providing mm. uh, to you know future farmers who take this very seriously and want to be successful farmers in a sustainable manner in our country. It's quite interesting for me, Mbulaz, the sequencing, right? Um, I mean, for, for many decades, um, and many of us have been critical of this, the, the focus of our land reform program has been on this idea of creating a sort of black commercial agricultural class, right? Um, and often the complaint has always been you give people land, but you don't give them post-settlement support. And primarily, in a game that farming is, you can't farm without credit just because of the Correct. sort of uh, time horizon of everything. I mean, between when you plant the seed right to when you harvest and when you can make your cash. Um, but, but, but many people would say, in line with the aspiration the government has had of creating this class of commercial farmers, that this is a prescient move. I mean, you probably want to start and give them the kind of uh, firepower that they need before you even get into the debate of who gets what piece of land where. Sure, that's a very hard question. <laughs> um, you know, like I, like I said before, the farming story or farming investment um, is it, not actually black and white. It's very, very hard. Um, because, I mean, some of these farmers that were actually seen as being successful, um, you know, from the first tranche of the farmers that we're referring to right now, they actually kept, you know, the structure of the farm as it was and never changed the management teams. So there's this argument of whether the people running the farms are actually black farmers mm. or it's just, a, you know, a conduit for, for white farmers to stay, you know, in the business mm. and put black faces as owners there. So you never win either way because at the end of the day, there needs to be a skilled transfer from, you know, traditional farmers to our new school farmers. Yeah, and yeah. if that doesn't happen, uh, we're still going to have this, you know, push-pull dynamic that we see uh, in, in uh, the agricultural sector. Yeah, and I guess, you know, the other thing with, with agriculture, I mean, the, the, the reason why I made that comment earlier, um, Bulaz, is that it's become very mechanized and very capital-intensive. I mean, if you think about the old Afrikaner co-ops and how they've corporatized and graduated into some of the entities that uh, we're very familiar with now, the Send Vesses of the world, the BKBs and many others, uh, it's quite clear now it's a game of scale. It's a game of very deep pockets. Um, and I guess I made that comment in, in that context that you can't compete, I mean, uh, with um, a food production system like that if you don't really have, I guess, the proper firepower by way of financing and capital to allow you to either integrate into those value chains or effectively compete? Look, 
Look at the, you know, the, the agricultural minister who's actually given the money, you know, the kind of far power you're talking about to the first tranche of farmers, uh, to actually, you know, see this exact goal that you're referring to of, uh, you know, having high scale commercialized farms, uh, with the right number of capital mm. and the right number of staff members to actually make that possible, right? Mm. But it's been a, you know, an endless hole of just throwing money in there with absolutely nothing to show for it. So it's, yeah, it, it's going to be very yeah. hard to motivate if you're on the, you know, financing side, especially on the government side to say, let's keep supporting these guys mm. until they come right. Whereas there's a lot of leakages, um, in other, you know, parts of the economy. It's not just agriculture sure, sure. that needs our attention mm. and our money, but, you know, across the spectrum of our economy, there's a lot of leakage. So yeah, yeah. we can't, you know, afford to keep putting even more money sure. into farming. I mean, one of the other topics we want to talk about is, you know, education, which needs, mm. uh, you know, our funding as well. So it becomes a very hard, sure. uh, you know, hard question sell. of, you know, yeah. giving it years and years mm. and years with, you know, no results on the other side. Actually, so, and, you know, you know, our problem, Tina Mbula, certainly from where I'm sitting, is that... You know, even the venture capital folk will tell you that you know, the issue might not necessarily be some of the deals going bad. The issue is how you and what you learn from that. Um, and, and how you spread the investment exactly, across Exactly, and how you diversify. Yes. So, so it seems to me my issue is that, you know, we're all putting our pot, like all of our money in one pot, right? Um, yes. And it's going to be millions of small-scale farmers rather than seeing how you can aggr- agglomerate some of them so that you can get the scale you're looking for. But also the second thing is there isn't seemingly a learning framework on what effectively we've um, failed on at a farm level um, in the land reform program for the last two decades. I mean, these are not the first people that are going to be getting land or money from the government. But it seems that uh, I guess there's, there's no real lessons from those who got it before. Uh, and where the outcomes were probably suboptimal. Bulaz, let's talk about education. Um, yes. I mean, when I saw this uh, earlier on t- uh, today, and I understand the minister was in parliament yesterday, saying that uh, of the $6 billion they've promised, around $3.3 billion is going to be taken from the National Skills Fund. Now, already, I guess my tether was up at that point, because that's the same <laughs> money that's needed for learnerships. It's the same money that's needed to upgrade uh, machinery and equipment at TVET colleges yeah. or even artisanal training. It's the same money that's effectively needed to bankroll the skills we need for all of our industrial ambitions. I find it very unsettling how easy it is that we can take the money from there. But I guess if you think about the conditions under which it happened in the past, because it happened in 2015, 2016 as well. And then it was because the NSF had surpluses. And my question is, you know, when so many people are out of work, why would you have surpluses? Again, maybe it's, you know, the the lack of, you know, education in terms of how to distribute those NFS funds mm. to the right individuals that need them, especially during COVID-19, where we've seen, you know, youth unemployment skyrocket to a sure, third. Sure. Uh, so two thirds of, uh, you know, two thirds, sorry, um, of the youth, you know, being unemployed, which is terrible. But that's not what we're focusing right now. Let me try to answer your question mm. on, you know, the education side of things. I mean, this is a classic case of, you know, taking from the Kumalos to give to the Mkizes. I mean... Why do they have to take from you, Mbulas? There is, <laughs> no one wins in the end. Because, sure. I mean, the, the Kumalos are going to hate the Mkizes, right? Mm. Um, and that's not what you want in our economy. But 
the big issue here, I think, is that students have spoken, they're sick and tired of empty promises, and they want to see action, and they took it to the streets, and then they're seeing, obviously, some results. And maybe this mm. could be a, potentially a blueprint for other sectors of the economy that need urgent attention, like, you know, ESCOM and the likes, where we take it to the streets and say we're sick and tired, we want to see change, as, mm. you know, uh, taxpayers of South Africa. Public sector workers? That's true, right? Mm. Uh, there needs to be a major shift. And obviously, just speaking in, in you know, places like your program is not enough. Mm. Uh, we need action. We need sure. to do something. We need a movement uh, to get these things done. And uh, the students have done an exceptional example uh, of, you know, how we could do this. Mm. Because, mm. you know, the government is actually acting. Because at the end of the day, the South African economy is nothing without education yes. or educated individuals. So if we are taking away from those people... Uh, there won't be a future for mm, South Africa mm. to actually be competitive on a country level. You know, for me, you know, an, an investment in education is so critical, not just because it's an asset in a way, I mean, that people can use to improve their likelihood and prospect of having a, a livelihood in the future. But it's the one proven thing that can effectively break class barriers. It's the and, one thing, upward social mobility, like unmatched, you know, um, mm. and yet... We can dally, dilly dally on it, or, or even say, well, it's probably not as important as maybe giving, you know, some money, I guess, to a loss-making airline. Exactly. I mean, you and I are, you know, living proof of, you know, the, sure. the, the South African education um, system. We came out of it, and as a result, we took ourselves out of poverty to come to where we are today. Mm. And I wish, you know, uh, we could contribute even more positively in getting more people out of poverty sure. using the same system that has worked for us. I mean, I, I work with um, a, a number of, you know, sponsors, um, you know, when it comes to giving out um, university funding. Mm. And th this is where we are in terms of, you know, those economics for, you know, the people that endow these funds and the people that actually use these funds. Currently, this year, um, I would say close to 90% of you know all of these new students are not going to be getting any new funding mm. and it, it, most of these programs are not going to be accepting any new students um and most of these businesses it's either they are caving the businesses now that endow these programs it's either they are caving or they you know put everything on pause to say we're not going to be funding anything further because we we are fighting for our own survival so in this kind of environment, this is where the government is supposed to step in and help. But because of, you know, traditionally of how, you know, South Africa has been run, especially on, you know, tertiary funding, mm. it, it was mostly private. So it, the disappearance of this, this is what has actually forced students to actually go out there to say, for the first time in, you know, three, four, five, ten years, sure, sure. I don't have funding, mm. but I still want to go to school. And I don't know what I'm going to do with my life if I stay at home. So I'm mm. going to take it to the streets. Bulaz, I, I would have wished that we could also touch on African Rainbow Capital, but uh, certainly no time for us to do that. But, uh, I mean, just on the point of education, you know, very interesting input by the deputy uh, president yesterday in parliament saying, you know, in a way, this is a good problem to have because you've got young people who are not fighting, you know, uh, uh, for, for anything nefarious or even anything that would be seen as you know, uh, uh, unseemly. Guess, yeah, unseemly or anything like that, you know, but it's young people who are saying we're capable and effectively we want an opportunity to change our lives. Um, and he then placed the obligation to find that money. And I think 
that certainly is the message from the society as well that mayifumane gele mali kubaga loko asina yo imali yo funda Bulaz we'll have to leave it there thank you very much for your time and and the dividend party is fully behind that motion thank you very much oh yes oh yes Uh, Bright Kumalo, the analyst at Vestec Asset Management, speaking to us this evening for our wrap of the top business stories.